1: Witch Podcast with me Carly. Hope you are all well witches. Today I am so excited to have on the podcast Danielle Dolsky to talk about her new book Bones and Honey, a heathen prayer book. We will be talking about prayer, ancestral connection, how her practice has changed over the last 20 years and a look at the word witch itself. So, I'm really sorry. These last couple of weeks, my iron levels have been really low and I've just been really run down. Not sick, just absolutely out of it. And it's taken me a little while to get back to some form of normality. I was a bit of a zombie. Anyway, I'm starting to feel back on a roll again. My energy is returning. I'm not there 100%, but getting there. So, I just want to apologize if the last couple of weeks, It seems I've been a bit wafty. That is not my intention at all. When I recorded last week's podcast, I was so out of it. When I was feeling bummy and out of it, I did have a ton of themes come up that will be coming up on the podcast. In a way, I wonder if that was what it was all about as I've been down some wild rabbit holes and I can't wait to share with you what they were. Today's book review is quite an older book. I actually read this book end of last year and I didn't review it initially because it gets deep. I will explain why shortly, just some of my hesitations in regards to this book. But this week I realised this book literally never leaves my brain. I regularly find myself just musing over it. The book I'm talking about is The Fairy Faith, an integration of science with spirit, written by Serena Roney Dougal. When I say this author is ahead of her time, this book was published in 2003. It just seems a long way back when I've seen some of the book's themes much more out there in more recent years. This book followed on deliciously following the conversation I had with Kate Ray on the podcast about the Fae. On that episode, we started up a brief discussion around how many people believe perhaps the Fae are connected to aliens. This book delves into the overlap and it will blow your fucking (laughs) minds. Of course he looks at the old aspects of fairy lore, but this is more science than fairy tale, or at least applying science to see if the skeptic can be convinced. A book where science and magic meet. The skeptic in me loved this. One thing I love about this book, there are lots of facts in there that I just haven't found in, other books or online. It does get really deep, absolutely fascinating. The author is clearly intelligent. She is a parapsychologist who mixes the woo-woo with the science, so it doesn't feel too clinical. She herself resides in Glastonbury and she discusses like some of the sightings that she has had along with other residents of strange lights, eerie encounters, that could be fae or alien. This book gets deeply psychological, she looks at psychic awareness, levels of consciousness, which took the book into information on the pineal gland, ayahuasca, DMT, the third eye, the dream state of consciousness, altered state of consciousness that shamans use. I was geeking out. I loved the detail it went into in regards to ancient shamans of the UK. So the wise women, cunning folk, witches, magicians, how different herbs and plants were used in flying ointments, but in more depth than I've seen in other books, how they were used to create out-of-body experiences and why. It also looked at magic mushrooms, the links between Siberian tribes with the father Christmas folklore and the shaman and how that all came about, which we did look at on the Dear Goddess episodes. This was such a great take on this in the book. I actually read this after putting out that episode. Sections that blew my mind were about the pineal gland, the earth's magnetic field, electricity and its links to the body, how certain people can affect electricity through their super sensitivity to it. This one statement itself made me start to think about things differently. Electrically, all things are interrelated. The stars, the sun, the moon, the planets, the earth and all its inhabitants. We are electric creatures living in an electric world. The book delves into stone circles and the earth's magnetic field, ley lines, barrows, stones, and their links to traveling from this world to the other world. Then we get into poltergeist and actually how this could be fae activity, which we have, loosely discussed on i think a previous episode albeit briefly then we get into crop circles circle dancing and it's linked to the fae ufos and how they could link to the fae and barrows the book has maps in it to show where ufo sightings have taken place also fairy sightings and how this all correlates to ley lines and earthquake epicenters in the uk Then we get into abductions and changelings, the other world, animism, reincarnation, rebirth, fairy immorality, taboo in the fae realm. That's not even all of it. The only slight criticism I can give of this book is at a couple of points, the author does get a bit preachy on how we should all be living. She's not wrong, it just kind of stings a little bit, but this takes nothing away from the book. This book blew my mind. I am not the most intelligent when it comes to anything scientific. I mean, I left school at 15. Most of my presence there involved being a little shit. I was either in isolation, skiving, or suspended. And if I was there, I was just a twat. Sorry, teachers, you have no idea how much I regret that. But when it came to this book, I loved and could understand the scientific explanations and also was just fascinated by it. It's mixed in with a ton of lore as well. It really is a half and half of magic and science. There is so much in here I haven't found anywhere else when it comes to the research that I do. I didn't find it difficult to read through as it kept my attention. At times I reread some parts just so I could fully grasp the concept, but I actually did manage to. As an older book, you can pick this up on certain websites for around a fiver. Amazon does also stock it. Absolutely loved this book. Haven't seen any other books similar to it. Cannot recommend it enough if you are a lover of the Fae or aliens and want to go deep. But also if you are a skeptic. Join me after the break for my interview with Danielle Dolsky. Welcome back. I am here with Danielle Dolsky, author of The Holy World, Seasons of Moon and Flame, Woman Most Wild, The Holy World Grimoire, and most recently, Bones and Honey. A heathen visionary, painter, poet, storyteller, and word witch. She teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work and seasonal rituals since 2007. She is the founder of the Hag School and believes in the emerging power of wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. Welcome to the show, Danielle.
2: Thank you, Carly. So happy to be back.
1: So happy to have you back, and I'm going to try to rein in my fangirling today. <laughs> and actually speak without without turning to, to, I don't know, just turning to a big puddle. <laughs> oh, puddle away. <laughs> no, I'm so excited to have you on, and I love your new book. So your new book is called Bones and Honey, which I love the title of. Can you speak a little bit about that title? Yeah, um,
2: Bones and Honey is my interpretation, or was when I was trying to think of a title for the book, of this paradox that we are all, well, maybe not all, but many of us are holding the tension of this paradox between knowing that there is a deep, deep, deep deep-seated and necessary grief to these times that we're living in, this global underworld journey, but also sensing the importance, the value, the treasure of the joy of living and kind of being oriented toward whatever art we're sensing we need to create or these moments of pure presence that we feel that we are met with just in the mundane day-to-day, just kind of naming that as our purpose right now, but, you know, kind of holding um, the, the bones are what remain after death. So, you know, holding the tension of knowing that, you know, all of this will end, and there is, um, you know, a world, the, the world wound is really aching right now. Um, and yet, we still have this honey, that is this joy of living, and that we really need both, we can't, we can't sink too far into the bones. Um, and we can't be too much about the honey either, I don't yeah. think, at at all times anyway. Um, so Bones and Honey is just holding the tension of that paradox between grief and gratitude and sorrow and joy and, uh, and you know, continuing the journey.
1: I love that. And this is one of the reasons why I love the book, because like you say, there are many different themes in the book. But one of the reasons I really relate, the sections I really related to currently were around grief in all its forms there were so many parts that I read there's one in particular that I read when we did our book review which is um under the same stars that you wrote that particularly got me and mm-hmm. also your re- oh my goodness your retelling of the little match girl had me in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, and I think what I love about this is because Often, when we read something that it's you know, like your book, it's almost like your grief feels seen, like the words kind of help you relate to that emotion and that grief that you're going through, or at least it did for me. So, yeah, it was particularly special reading quite a few sections around grief in the book. And of course, there are many different themes that run throughout as well. But, yeah, very beautiful. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the bones and the grief are, are can be like less compelling from a, yeah. uh, a sales standpoint <laughs> or a marketing standpoint, but it really is uh, necessary medicine right now. And so my, my hope in writing the book was that everybody would find one of those prayers where it's like, oh, okay, that is naming my ache right now. So, yeah.
1: It's exactly that. That's exactly how I felt, honestly. Mm. So you identify as a witch. And actually, this is something I'm really interested to ask you about. You've just touched on the different prayers in the book. How do witches feel about the practice of prayer from your perspective? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I know. Well, I can't I can't speak for all witches. I do know that there is a lot of tension around the word prayer and mm. uh, I too had to kind of re-befriend the word prayer and even the practice of prayer um, mm. coming from a really rigid born again Christian childhood and then, you know, breaking free from all of that and naming everything that was in that as bad. <laughs> And not something that I wanted in my life anymore. And then slowly as I got older, so I'm about to turn 44. And I can really see how I've kind of gone back maybe in the last 10 years and started to like pick out the little treasures that were there, even though Mm -hmm. there was also that great wound that was there. So it's a little bit of the bones and honey again. Um, But the etymology of prayer, it just means earnest request. So it doesn't mm-hmm. need to necessarily be to a deity. And I think that um, whether it's the prayers that are in Bones and Honey or any prayers that we might be speaking, they're very like charms in witchcraft where, you know, they're, they are meant to be spoken. They are petitions to the unseen and they do need to consider where they are going. So who are you praying to, but it doesn't need to be a deity. It could be an archetype or it could be your own future self, or it could be the ancestors or the descendants. So it's sort of extricating um, the idea extricating prayer from this notion that it needs to be to God, capital G. Mm -hmm. And it can really be to um, anything that you would name as sacred, any any entity or or even energetic container of meaning that you would name as sacred, that that can be where that prayer petition lands. Um, so, you know, I don't know that every witch feels that, right, that way. That was my way of re-befriending the word prayer and the practice of prayer. Just, you know, of course I have earnest requests and my spells are earnest requests. So, of course, I'm going to pray.
1: I love the earnest request sentiment and yeah. acting for myself like for this year I really uh, sorry not this year kind of 2023 I um really made peace with prayer for myself as well in terms of kind of um because yeah like a a lot of the witches that I speak to or kind of who get in contact you listen to the show there are many of us that might have had like quite a staunch religious background through family and so on and that can kind of put the horrors on you to think of prayer um but yeah like last year I made my peace very much with the act of prayer you know in conversation with um the goddess overall you know just like a higher being as a kind of Um, as as in a sort of universe form and so on. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I love the the term earnest request and it can be delivered in so many different ways. It's really good to get your perspective on it. We haven't actually spoke much on prayer on the show. So I definitely think that's Mm -hmm. going to be a bit of a conversation opener with quite a few of our witches. Yeah. You've been a practicing witch for more than 20 years now. How has your definition, and actually this is a conversation that I've been having a lot also, so how has your definition of the word witch changed during that time and also what shifts have you witnessed in the witchcraft community during recent
2: years? Oh those are very good questions. Um, I mean when I first started claiming the name, which, for myself, it felt incredibly bold for me to do that um, mm-hmm. twenty years ago. And uh, I think I spoke about this when I was on the show last time because it was such a pivotal moment in my life where I was um I was twenty five and I had just had my first son. And having one of those like dark night of the soul moments where you're nursing the baby at 4 a.m. And the world seems like it's like nothing makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And And why am I here? (laughs) (laughs) And I just came to this realization that, you know, I didn't want this innocent in my arms to ever have to deny a huge part of who he was, whatever that was going to be at the time. And he's about to um fly the nest now. He's going off to college this summer. So oh,
1: wow, um, you know,
2: now I know I know you know, what he has become or who he has become. But in that moment, I didn't. He was just this infant baby. And I was thinking about, How, you know, I didn't want him to have to deny who he was or lie about it or hide it. And yet, I really was hiding the fact that I was a witch and, you know, I was casting spells, you know, on my own and uh, was a member of like an online, probably the original online coven. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And... Uh, But it felt like it needed to be kept secret. And I just decided in that moment that I wasn't going to hide it anymore. I didn't declare that I was going to like scream it from my rooftop or anything, but I wasn't going to consciously hide it, you know, put the altar in the cabinet and do all of the things that I was doing. So um, I think, you know, in the beginning, my definition of the word witch was, you know, somebody who really claims that name for themselves and... Also practices witchcraft, so you know they—they a witch kind of meets both of those two conditions. And I don't know that that definition has changed for me over the years. I still believe that you know what makes a witch a witch is somebody who um, has claimed that name for themselves and then also practices witchcraft, whatever that looks like for them. Because of course we know practicing witchcraft can look any number of different ways. Something that I was thinking of recently, though, is like, I, I think probably when I was younger and maybe up until 2020, I really held true to this idea of like the witch's discipline and that you if you were going to practice witchcraft, like you really did need to do it um, and have uh, a kind of container for yourself and boundaries around when you were going to practice and and really be um, pretty rigid about it because witchcraft is to me very like an art and we know that we can come up with any number of excuses for why we're not going to write that book or paint that painting um, yeah. and I think that witchcraft can be similar you know we can always come up with an excuse as the day goes on for why we're gonna wait to cast that spell until tomorrow etc um, but I yeah. think that you know, as I've gotten older, I've become a little bit more um, soft with myself, because I am very disciplined. And so I do know, you know, if I do intuitively feel called to cast a spell, I will, but I don't necessarily feel like I need to use every single full moon, for example, or if there's a particular um, cross quarter day, like, for instance, my uh, my most recent lunasa, like I usually do a big thing on lunasa. <laughs> this one, yeah, this yeah. past year, I was just so tired because I had taught for most of July, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna like let this one be, <laughs> and that's gonna be how I celebrate this day. And that was absolutely the right thing. So, yeah. you know, that that second condition of, like, how you practice witchcraft, you know, I think that, that that looks how it's going to look for you. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something every single day, because uh, witchcraft is a lot about the way you see the world also, and not necessarily about these symbolic actions that we do in our spellcraft. So I've been leaning a little bit more toward that recently.
1: Absolutely, and obviously you work within witchcraft as well and sometimes as you know like when it comes to a lot of the Sabbaths you can get so busy and you get to it and you're like I've just got nothing left in me like I just yeah <laughs> not the best place to perform magic from when you're kind of spent you know so it's such a balance of okay when have I got this energy that I can you know I can do this work
0: but yeah it's really yeah, interesting so I like cool. what you
1: said about the discipline side of things and sometimes I'm the same you know like I kind of you know ahead of a full moon or a new moon or or whatever sabbath i'm like when that comes around i'm gonna do this and i get to it and i'm like i'm absolutely shattered but you know i know that i've got to commit and see it through and but yeah it it is that balance as well and um yeah i mean i'm i'm 41 so i'm a few years um only a couple of years younger than you uh danielle and Mm. um it's been a really interesting kind of shift the last 20 years because i guess I find now how much easier it is to say I am a witch I, I identify as a witch than it was back then you know hiding my you know sort of silver raven wolf early books and things yeah like. <laughs> and, that, and actually it's actually you know being able to access resources and online communities and you know it was all kind of like hidden away right and impossible a good a good while back so yeah great times to be
2: <laughs> right we had the we had the shop owners that's what I talk about a lot like you know newer witches or the witch curious today you have an infinite number of resources but really in you know the late 90s and the early 2000s when I was um, you know starting to cast spells and getting deeper into it and looking for a coven it was the the new age shop owners that you know would answer the questions and you know you could be like well what's this wand do (laughs) open up this whole box of wisdom that the person behind the counter had and so yeah I really think of those you know, those early shop owners when I was a teenager as being like my original teachers,
1: <laughs> I mean, they were just is me shop-, <laughs> shop owners just fielding questions. No, absolutely resonate and remember those times. We, what a world to be in from that is so like you know, pros and cons, but yeah, we are very lucky that it's not the same today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I really I want- go ahead, sorry,
2: Danielle. I was just going to say you had asked um, the second part of your question was about how the witchcraft community has changed or, or what I notice about how it's changed.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: And of course, it's become more accessible and um, expansive. And yes. at least in the I know in the United States, witchcraft is still the fastest growing religion. So like while the uh, the rest of the religions are kind of falling apart, witchcraft yes. is still the one that is growing. Um, and I do think that there's something to this old you know, idea of the, the healing medicine goes where it needs to go. So as the landscape of the, the socio-political landscape of the world gets um gnarlier and you know the hand of the over culture becomes more and more overbearing trying to retain its grip then of course there's going to be this great um surge of an and interest in witchcraft because witches are the ones who work with the elements and are of course um you know the, the ones who honor nature not the only ones but, but we, we do honor nature and our witchcraft and we want to protect it and um you know in the days of climate collapse uh in this age of climate collapse that's um taking hold the witch is becoming more and more important and so the fact that it's the fastest growing religion doesn't really surprise me at all if witchcraft is medicine and the medicine is going where it needs to go well this chapter in the world story is exactly where it needs to go so we're just all a part of that
1: Absolutely, I know you're very conscious as well about you know with your work about change and and I know that's quite a like you know from what I've read and so on. It it always seems quite a motivation for you, um but yeah, I agree. I I do really feel like us witches are at the forefront of you know looking after the world, looking after nature, and and you know I I just think that can only be a good thing, but potentially you know what possible backlash could come with that with the other religions sinking as <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting the next 20 years that's one thing I do think but I yeah. guess you know, I, I do think that when I came into doing the podcast there was very little here in the UK in terms of podcasts and so on there were certainly YouTubers but we've always been behind the states and so on so I feel mm-hmm. like we are still yet to see perhaps a lot of the change and in influence of the craft like you guys have so it is going to be interesting to see how that expands here too so yes yeah, yeah. times <laughs> um, oh
0: yeah
1: <laughs> I'm, I mean coming back to the witch title what about the definition of the word witch has that how has that changed for you if it has at all i don't i don't know
2: that it has um yeah. i think you know i i've always been well for as long as i can remember i've been a huge word nerd and so you know <laughs> i've always been conscious of the word which really means wise and so yeah. thinking about what wisdoms are housed not only in your own lineages but also you know the ones that you feel called to learn that weren't necessarily uh, in your own lineages, but you know, learning them with great care and respect. Um, and I think, like, so not just learning it though, but then putting it into practice, whatever that practice looks like for you. So I don't know that the definition of the word witch has changed, and like, mm-hmm. I don't mind. I know, I know, like a lot of the more the more seasoned witches. They are kind of bothered by witchcraft as a social media trend. And I guess there are times when I'm bothered. By it, yeah. yeah. But not usually. Like, I, you know, I just find that, you know, I, I, I don't have a pattern for when I was a teenager and in my early 20s and trying to figure it out on social media because it didn't exist. So I don't really know what it would look like. And, you know, maybe I would be making the same. Um, you know kind of flashy uh, witch aesthetic posts <laughs> if, I, yeah, if yeah. I was that age and witch curious I don't I don't know what I would have done so so I'm not bothered by the witch as a trend necessarily like I said I think the medicine is going where it needs to go so if that's what's amplifying uh the energy of the witch right now I I think it's okay um I haven't seen it harm anything necessarily I know there was there was an article in the New York Times recently that was like when did everybody become a witness?
1: <laughs> yeah I've seen <laughs> few articles of the same absolutely my mum always sends me those I'm like okay thanks mum
2: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
2: and you know I, I think that that's fine I mean I I don't know that, that I would have necessarily gotten as many book deals as I have if there wasn't an interest in witchcraft. So I'm fine with it. I think it's okay. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> the one thing I will say though is thank goodness I'll always be grateful that during the nineties and the noughties there was no social media and no evidence of anything I got up to in my kind of late teens. Same. <laughs>
2: yeah same I can't imagine my yeah, youngest son gosh. is my youngest son is about to turn 15 and I guess there's I'm not on TikTok, so I don't I can't speak to I... witch talk or anything but my youngest son is always showing me these videos about high school in the 90s like I guess like it, you know it's like and it's recorded on a camcorder and he's like is this what high school was like for you and it's just like the hallways you know with the lockers and I'm like yeah is that not what high school's like anymore (laughs) like no it doesn't look like this at all I'm just like you know kind of stunned by how much the world has
1: changed (laughs) it's so funny you say that because my daughter's 16 and she always watches things because they come up on TikTok and various different social media of like I guess like clubs and raves and 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 all manner of things in the 90s and she's kind of like in awe of it you know because there's no one's yeah. just alone and I'm like but it, it seems so basic compared to what you've got now but she's kind of like thinking it's all I do it. <laughs> it's kind of
2: like how I mean I remember like being into the sixties and like you know my parents you know answering (laughs) questions and stuff but I mean you know the sixties versus the nineties it just feels like a very different
1: vibe. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we've all done that because I I I, I very much did the same when I was younger with the 70s, to be honest. So yeah, I guess being there wasn't as fun as how aesthetically pleasing it looks now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um so one thing I wanted to ask you. So we already talked about. Um, yeah, obviously, I know you have a. Um, so you're an Irish American, and I'm really interested to see how that informs your witchcraft, like how that might influence your practice and so on.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I. Um. So my whole mother line is Irish, and. Mm we uh, kind of grew up like knowing like you're Irish American, you're Irish American. And there was like this tension between my father's side. Well, not tension really, but it it was, it was a thing sometimes around the holidays yeah. So my father's family was not Irish. And um, when I turned 18, I moved to Ireland, like with no coming home date necessarily. I was like, I'm just going to go because I couldn't get out of my parents' house fast enough. <laughs> and I wasn't, I for sure was not going on like a spiritual quest (laughs) or like a pilgrimage of any sacred nature, not intending to anyway. And yet it ended up being that. And so I think about, you know, in reflection now about the adolescent rite of passage that, you know, in an indigenous culture we might have, and it would happen, you know, around that time, sometime in adolescence, where you're sort of like, um put into the wild to face your ancestors and death and you know you face that encounter and then you're welcomed home as um a grown up or an adult and that that was sort of what that was for me i mean it was a gnarly experience in a lot of ways um i i didn't go there and like kiss the blarney stone
0: <laughs> i <laughs> <kind of laughs> head
2: there and lived and worked and had a job, and really struggled and went to bed hungry a lot of the time. and um and then I did come home. And so thinking about how that through those three stages of a rite of passage really mirrored my experience in Ireland. But I did have experiences when I was there of of the other world, capital o. I mean, I saw a ghost. I oh, wow. um, had this really mystical encounter in a field that I don't think I need to go into right now. <laughs> no, 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 I, I did that's... have these yeah. I had these moments of just knowing like, oh, you know, there I'm not alone and the ancestors are here. Um I had this I had a moment where you know at age eighteen you're not really worried necessarily about danger and (laughs) at least as much as you should be and I was a glass collector in a bar uh, in Mm -hmm. Temple Bar and I would walk home at three in the morning every night and like not think anything of it like oh this is dangerous for an 18 year old girl to be walking home by herself and there was one night where I was walking past these Um, kind of like dodgy flats that were there on my way home. And there was somebody that was there and they saw me and crossed the street and they're following me. And then I crossed the street and they crossed the street again and it was really terrifying. And I thought like, I'm going to die. And I just said this quick prayer to my Irish grandmother who I actually never met. She died when I was two years old. And all of a sudden that person was gone. Like, and it didn't make sense. Like, you know, they were right behind me and then all of a sudden they're just gone and there was really nowhere for them to deck into. And like that marked me, that moment. And then later in life, I I would um, encounter two psychics actually that were like, oh, there was this moment when you were in Ireland where oh. you were definitely going to die and you were saved by your grandmother. Like two separate psychics told me that. And I'm like, yep, I know exactly when that was. Um, oh so you know thinking about that as a death encounter also so i had moments like that that just alerted me to the fact that you know there is something beyond us and so you know that part of me that would believe witchcraft isn't real or or you know the spells just something silly that you're doing and it's not going to be heard or received by anything Um, that kind of started to fall apart the more of those encounters that I had. So my time in Ireland really, um, awakened me to, you know, this ancestral field that's incredibly alive, um, that hidden intelligence that is the reason why we keep practicing and casting our spells, um. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a big way that being an Irish American (laughs) informs my witchcraft, but I still do. I work a lot with my ancestors and especially my Irish lineage. And um, I do a lot with uh, the, uh, you know, rocks and stones and moss. Whenever I have friends coming back from Ireland, I'm like, bring me some dirt.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I am um, I've got some Irish ancestry but going like further back not as you know not as close um, as, mm-hmm. as your own but again I mean I had all these big ideas of going to Ireland you know to kind of like a weenie like cave of the cats and all these spiritual places but yeah. I I've only been in bars in Temple Bar in Dublin. That's about it. Yeah. Not in recent years, but, you know, my my misspent youth was uh, Dublin. But what a place. And the thing is, as well, I was speaking to a friend of mine recently who is Irish, and he was like, he went back for Christmas and he just said, you can't tell anyone here that none of this is, you know, you can never have conversations and poo-poo any ideas in regards to folklore and the spirituality every time he goes home he's like installed with all these new new old tales that the family has and so on and it's just so it's so solid that that's continued for so many years in comparison to many other places i i guess here in the uk and like the rest of the world like they've held on to the old mm-hmm. ways in so many respects for so long it's so impressive. yeah and,
2: yeah, absolutely. I think especially, you know, in the in the west of Ireland, like when I go there now, um, you know, you can just you can like feel how heavy the ghosts are walking. I had this I had an encounter much more recently. We, my husband and I went to Clare Island and we were just staying there for like three nights and this was in 2017 and I was going to sleep like my first night there and I looked out the window and we were on like the second or third floor of this B&B and there's this creature and (laughs) it was just right outside the window and it had red eyes and it looked very puka like it had dark skin and red eyes and um, it was just so... I mean, it was weird, but it was also normal that it was there, that I didn't even wake my husband up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But like I think like... about that now, like, that I, it was just so normal that this strange creature was outside the window. And it what, didn't seem, it seemed completely ambivalent toward me. I mean, it wasn't like... um you know, it, it, it didn't feel like it was going to do anything to me, it didn't feel good or bad necessarily, but it yeah. was just like checking me out and being like, why are you here? You know, how did you get here?
1: <laughs> and and but I then it was it. just so, but ben- say again place is there it's almost like you're just not even surprised they're there if that makes sense exactly that's what I
2: mean <laughs> yeah I wasn't even yeah. surprised by it versus like now if there was something like that out my window and you know where I'm very yeah. worried about it but there it was just like okay that's how it is here
1: absolutely no and and um no I completely resonate with that and I was gonna say I mean throughout your I mean throughout Bones and Honey obviously if anyone loves like the old tales and folklore and so on there is so much that is weaved throughout of this book like there's so many references to the Kaliak and obviously different you know kind of goddesses and so on that I loved so yeah for me they were some of the stories and you know different parts that I really honed in on first yeah yeah thank you and obviously you've got other books including The Holy Wild, The Holy Wild Grimoire. I'm actually looking at them, I've got them all on my shelf in front of me. Seasons of Moon and Rain, <laughs> Women Most Wild. But you've also got your Oracle Decks, The Sacred Hags Oracle. I yeah. personally felt this book was very different and I loved it for that. I love all of them in their different forms. But how is Bones and Honey different from your other books?
2: Yeah, I think it is very different. Um, it it's essentially organized around these thirteen archetypes that I was thinking about as being medicinal. So going back to this idea of like the medicine goes where it needs to go. Um. So you know the witch archetype being so uh amplified right now and then you know what are the other archetypes as being these um, kind of bubbles of energy or bubbles of power that could be amplified right now in a way that would be healing for uh, healing on the individual level and then healing on the collective level so i was sort of thinking about what those archetypes might be and then in Bones and Honey, each of the thirteen chapters—it's—they're named according to those thirteen medicinal archetypes. So, you know, the Book of the Wounded Healer, for example. Um, and then within each book, there are thirteen prayers, and some of those are, you know, some of those really are look like prayers, and some of them are more prayer stories or, or you know, strange poems that rhyme um so it was thinking about um I was thinking about like the practice of writing the book and how different it was because when you're writing well any of my other books or like a traditional nonfiction book you know you can kind of like phone in a couple of paragraphs <laughs> here yes. and there uh, because you know you're trying to um describe something important but you know you need to lay the foundations etc not every single paragraph needs to be eloquent and poetic that's what I mean not phone it in but um, but then in Bones and Honey you know every paragraph had to be like you know a true um, dedicated intentional conscious entity kind of in and of itself because most of the prayers are only a paragraph long in that book so in that way it did Take longer to organize and write and make sure the language was the way I wanted it to be. Um, but on the other hand, it was a bit easier because when I when I sit down to write, you know, if I'm if I'm not writing an article or or something specific where I know exactly what form it's going to take, if I'm just sitting down to write for writing's sake, I do write things like the prayers and bones and honey. So. I had quite a few prayers that were already written and it was kind of a matter of um, in part like stitching them together and figuring out which archetype was most akin to the these prayers and some of them I had written many years ago. Um, so yeah, but thinking about you know the whole book as being like this, my contribution of like amplifying the archetypal medicine that the world needs now and then also you know, it's so weird to write a book because you know that you're writing it and it's not actually going to be witnessed by the world for maybe another year or so. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. you're thinking about like, well, I don't really know what the world's gonna look like when the book comes out. But you know, we can make predictions.
1: <laughs> I genuinely am trying not to like I've I've held back on the phone, Girling. But the one thing I will say, and I've said this on the previous episode, it hasn't changed. You are my favorite Witchy author, because you. I think your writing is so different. Like it's so different. And you've always blended, you've always managed to master the storytelling, but also the factual side, also. And I think that's really difficult to write in both styles. And it was so, I feel like inevitable but lovely to see with Bones and Honey that it was all of the stories, all of the prayers, you know, a whole compilation of that. I love both your stars of writing. And you know, it was but but it was kind of like, yes, like it's all of the it's all of the creativity and the beautiful words and so on. Um and yeah, just just such a beautiful book. And honestly, like it's massively most of the listeners will know that a lot of your writing has been, been like featured on this podcast with like book reviews and lots of ways that you've inspired me. So yeah, I know that a lot of the witches are big fans and will be excited about this one, but yeah, it's, it's stunning. Absolutely beautiful. Thank um,
2: you.
1: I did want to ask you on that front, really, I mean, what is the one thing you hope the reader will take away from your book, Bones and Honey? Yeah. Um, well, uh, maybe two things.
2: There's there's that uh, permission to hold the paradox. Um, I think that that we constantly need that <laughs> permission to be, um, you know, more than one personality, or to have beliefs that seem to conflict with one another, and to feel more than one thing at once or to be angry at more than one thing at once. Um yes. and so that that's the first thing is you know the, the permission to hold the tension of the bones and the honey together, the grief and the gratitude. Um and then also as I said in the beginning, I do hope that everyone who reads the book finds just that one prayer within the book um that just feels like, okay, that's the reason why. I'm reading this right now I wasn't sure before but there it is (laughs) so I hope that um yeah there's at least one one prayer for everybody in the book
1: oh there absolutely is there's so many themes in the book as well and obviously we had our book review and talked about each of the different sections and how it was broken down and there are there is a soothing balm of words in there for every eventuality definitely (laughs) thank you I love it I love it and I'm so grateful, Daniel, that you came on. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about your new book. I am really grateful. I'm really excited to see what, uh, I mean, you probably need a break now. But is there, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been doing a lot, but is there anything that you want to kind of leave us with? Tell us about what you're doing before we kind of wrap things up. Um, Just that
2: i I do have a, a storytelling um, calling it an untraining rather than a training, but I do have a storytelling course that's coming up uh, in March and it's just a three month um, nine fairy tale or nine wonder stories that we're going to kind of unpack and talk about how to facilitate them and um, kind of tend them uh, for the purpose of transforming self and others so I'm very excited about that that's called the witching hearth um but yeah other than that 2024 is kind of my year of uh of like deep alchemical transformation every single life area that I have is undergoing some kind of big shift and uh, I'm kind of in this uh, place that I'm usually not in January um as my birthday approaches where I'm like kind of excited <laughs> for, the, for the coming year because I don't really know what's gonna happen. And I, like, oh, I love
1: this yeah the brink of possibilities yeah they're always good yeah. years when you're not entirely sure you know you kind of got that you just don't know how it's gonna pan out, but lots of different things to come up. I mean, I, I you you could also probably do a bit of a break. You've been creating like mad, so
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. Without I get depressed great. in the break, so I can I can kind of feel like I, I, breaks are nice for like a few weeks, and then after that, I'm like I'm a little depressed when I'm not making something.
1: <laughs> I, I resonate with that completely, honestly. <laughs> I will obviously link everything in the show notes so you can find Danielle and everything that she's got coming up. But Danielle, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so grateful.
2: Thank you, Carly. Thanks so much for having me back.